It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, this week, we're going to be talking about one of our recently favourite albums that we've heard this year. It's absolutely knocked our socks off. It's by Boys Like Girls, and it's called Sunday at Foxwoods, and there's a brand new single and music video, the newest out the bunch, called Miracle, and it's such a fantastic song. It really does just tick all the boxes for what we like. It depends what you like, but like it's got all these different like production like flavors going on. It's like at its core, it's like just a good like pop rock sort of situation. But it's just got like loads of vocoders going on. Obviously, all the all the parts are just played ace, and there's so much personality in it as well. But, like, the mix is just so clean as well, which is often quite unusual in um, these sort of band productions. But there's just, it just keeps going and it's just so feel good. It's exactly what you want. And the guitars really hit hard, don't they, Mark, in certain sections? Yeah, the full song, like, it has this stabby sort of section in the, um, in like the breakdown slash bridge, however you'd want to class it. The, the production, the way the drums and the guitar sort of hits, like we always say it hit, hits like a brick, but this really does. I mean, it's like, it's just, it goes from, not silence, but it goes from everybody sort of waiting, like you do when you're doing stabby bits. And it just, it really, the impacts on each individual drum and guitar, like chord, it's just really strong and very cool sounding. It's it's hard to tell by listening exactly what they've done. All I can say is they've said in interviews that they're using metal zones, and there's definitely a lot of synths at play. It's like a very, it's a very layered album. The album Sunday at Foxwoods, and any keen listeners of this podcast may remember us talking about a song called Blood and Sugar, which was the first single to be released from Sunday at Foxwoods in about like sort of March, March, April time. And so this is an album that we have been eagerly anticipating because Blood and Sugar was such a good song. Like I say, first song we covered on this podcast and the album did not disappoint. Like it's 13 tracks. All the tracks are, are great, but uh, like Miracle's really taking your fancy, hasn't it? Like you really enjoy Miracle a lot. Yes, yeah, I really like just the full package on Miracle. Like I say, it's not necessarily, you know, like the, fact, the most upbeat song. It's not necessarily the rockiest song or it's not necessarily got, like, the biggest chorus. It just has a very cool... Like, it's almost like a movie montage type thing yeah. to me. And the way they've approached the video, which is all of the band racing at, like, well, crashing into each other at, like, a derby event, is just very stylish as well. Like, they, like you say, the full album and all the videos they've done, everything uses style, whether it's a simple video or them playing live to, like, the fully directed videos... It's just very stylish, both in the way it's being presented and also the way it sounds, like, in comparison to a lot of bands. Like, Boys Like Girls were classed as, like, an emo band when they came out, and this is not necessarily that far removed, but in in the way the band carries themselves, it just, it's hard to believe it's the same people who brought the Great Escape in. Because yeah. it's just, it's such a different energy like this has you know it's just it's just oozing style and confidence I was, gonna, I was just about to say confidence is really like what comes across and there's like there's like break beats happening on some of the songs like the intro song 
Sunday at Foxwoods and Sorry of a Lifetime. They've just done really, really weird stuff across the album, which fits in the context of the album. But like a lot of people say about, well, how do you write a new song? We've heard everything. That's what you hear a lot of people say yeah, yeah. who are avid long-time music listeners. And this is an album where I listen to it and I go, well, I've definitely not heard these songs before. I mean, physical is crazy as well because it has like an 80s rock thing that, that you know it sort of comes at you like almost like a van halen or bon jovi song at the start like a proper 80s throwback and then it jumps into this um minimalist sort of semi new jack swing orientated synthy and stab orientated chorus there's almost nothing going on it's just so out of left field and the way some of the songs develop is just really unexpected in the context of like traditional modern rock and alt rock yeah and the other thing like when you talk about physical is not only have they managed to shove a guitar solo into it but they've shoved a guitar solo between like this new jack um chorus but also a load of key changes that just keep going till the song ends and it's like you say when you're talking about songs building physical as a song just keeps building and every time you think the song's like done and it's going to go back to the verse it just there's another key change another layer added in and it just keeps building until the song finishes it's just relentless really yeah it's just really really like refreshing to hear and um it's really nice to hear an album like when you anticipate an album for a while and you're thinking oh man i'm really looking forward to this album especially like in the way modern day albums are where there's you know tends to be like five songs out by the time the album actually comes out and it's hard because sometimes by the time the album comes out you're like well we know we've had the best songs because we've had like five of the singles and there's nothing worse than buying an album where you've had say six of the songs and the other three songs you've got like a ballad an instrumental and like a, a closing song and yeah. it's like you're listening to your full album that you've say gone to a CD shop or more likely bought on like Amazon or whatever. And you're waiting to hear like the other three amazing songs and you realize, well, you've had the six good ones and now you've just got the other five. Yeah. It's, it's a really like, and the thing is like that shouldn't take away from the fact that the album at its core is good. Like with some albums, but at the end of the day, you know, when they say five singles out of a 13 song album, them songs are no longer new. Like when you get the album, they're old news to you, you know, you're excited for them, them songs you haven't heard. So I think it's quite hard, like when you sequence in a release, like you can't, you can't play all of your cards too early because when your album comes out, then people will be like, well, there's not really anything else happening. You like on release day and it can be quite, um, quite sort of unmotivating as a fan, like to, to give albums the time of day, but this is not that. This yeah. is like, you listen to it first way through. A lot of the songs were very surprised in terms that a lot of the songs had a lot going on. There was there was two interludes, and both the interludes are actually like amazing by themselves. Like very, uh, the both sort of tie into songs as well. And um, one acoustic track, one acoustic track at the end, which is you know expected. You know you need a bit of diversity in the track listing, but. That gives you like a core of like 10 songs. It's almost like listening to Hysteria by Def Leppard. It comes across like a greatest hits album because the songs are so strong and they're all consistently strong across. You know, some some albums can come across like, oh yeah, so 
these are the ideas we really, really thought about and we we did, you know, with singles in mind. And then here are the sort of the sonic experiments we got to, whereas this is more like you got 10 absolutely like polished and refined radio hits, but, you know, they're not technically radio hits because, you know, only so many of them could be singles. Yeah, and I think it depends on what type of release you're going for. Like, there's some there's some bands. Famously, the example I always think of is U2's Pop, where obviously they put it out and it wasn't done, and they just all the best songs was the first five, and the last four was like, they was just there. And it's not that they weren't any good, it's just that in comparison, you know, it's not anything to really get excited for. Or they're not doing what the band is known for, whereas like on this example, with Sunday at Foxwoods, you very much feel like any of the, the 10, you know, up-pace rock songs, any of those 10 could have been singles. And then obviously you have the ballad at the end and the two instrumentals, which naturally wouldn't typically be marketed as singles. Yeah. But the other 10 tracks, it could have been any of them. But obviously they've already released Blood and Sugar, Language, New Love, uh, The the Cry. Outside, Cry, and then for the album release, Miracle had come out. Yeah. So it's it's a good portion of the album was already out there. Yeah. So it is nice to be pleasantly surprised because there's nothing worse than getting an album on day one and feeling like you've heard all the best songs. And when you get a few sneaky tracks that sort of elude you, it really, it's a nice sort of boost when you're looking forward to an album. Yeah. And uh, my main takeaway with Sunday at Foxwoods is go listen to it, please. Boys like girls, Sunday at Foxwoods. I really, really hope they keep saying in their, um, their tour stuff, because we, we watched the Veeps live stream as well, which was fantastic, really good live band as well. Yeah, yeah. But they keep sort of saying like, this is them coming back and they've got, you know, they've got more to show. So I really hope we get another one of these albums because, you know... It'd be good if it was a trilogy, a new Boys Like Girls trilogy, because it's such a strong album. I would hate to see it just be a alone. Do you know what I mean? Like alone reforming. And, and um, yeah. the thing is, is when when a band comes out, say say you've got a band like this where they've done three albums and they've been on hiatus for 10 years or so, they come back and do one album. If you really, really like that album, and like, f- for example, for us, there's not really a lot that you could say, I'm in the mood to listen to this and I want to go to the next one. You go, well, there's not really another one. It's not come out yet for Boys Like Girls. And you go, well, I want to listen to another band that sounds similar. And you go, well, that's hard because this is a very unique package. Like you can get things that are within the ballpark, but the actual sort of DNA of the songs is very hard to find another song that's even remotely like that. Closest thing you can go is listen to say uh, the singer's solo project, The Night Game. Their second album is the closest you can really get to say listening to this album. And the thing is, is it's really frustrating from a fan perspective. If a band comes back, releases one of these albums, and then just doesn't do anything again. Because then, if you're craving for like what what is next in the release cycle, you're just sort of waiting. Like, obviously, uh, Coldplay recently have announced that they're, they're working on music, or they've almost finished Moon Music, which is the, the sort of companion album to Music of the Spheres. But when you see, like, a volume one or a hint of something more to come, like, even, like, the band just saying, we are back and we're, we're going to do this for more than just this one project, Yeah, you develop an expectation and you're 
waiting you're you're sort of like hoping hopefully it's sooner rather than later with release cycles but obviously like the 2000s you had to wait like five or six years for some of the bands to make another album and then you just sat and by the time they've made another album you you're, tuned out you're <laughs> past that phase like that's the sort of problem you have with release strategies so hopefully boys like girls do another album quicker rather than later but it's it's one of those things like they don't need to do the albums it's just one of them do, will they make another one well you was, re- you was reading about how um sort of like the digital landscape has led to faster releases for albums wasn't you back so hopefully like the way that the current music climate is it incentivizes bands like this to go and think well maybe we need to put something out sooner maybe we put something out like next year instead of in five years time because there's nothing worse than waiting five years for an album by like one of your favorite bands you know a lot can happen in five years the only thing i hope that doesn't keep being a trend which you see a lot is deluxe versions because there's nothing worse to me as a fan of a band who says buy an album on the first week when two months later they go well here's a deluxe version of the album you've already bought with four extra songs on what i will say is we're saying a lot of nothing worse is today so we maybe need to tier list our nothing worse so what's worse and an album where you have five great songs drop and then the rest of the songs when you listen to the full album of duds that's part that's one yeah two waiting five years for an album and three getting a deluxe version of an album but like a a belated deluxe version where they've waited till you've definitely already bought it and they've just shoved a couple of songs on the end which ones were them's worse well probably them not doing anything at all is worse yeah i think that's definitely that is the obvious answer isn't it if it's just more irritating when you've bought say a cd or vinyl and then they bring out a better superior one i like the form factor the uh band heat the uh swedish hard rock band um they put out heat um major forces yeah i'm getting that right force Um, major force major yeah Yeah, i was got me uh got a bit tied up force major and then they put out i believe it was extra forces yeah yeah which is the deluxe version of the album but it's just the second disc which is which is really nice and this is like would you i mean i suppose because it has live songs and reinterpretations of with other singers singing certain songs and stuff it's um it's a little bit more like a companion CD, not not fully another album. You know, like like a stereotypical album. It, it's essentially like a two disc version of that first album. Yeah. But they've instead of saying, "Look, you have to buy the first album again," which does them a lot of benefits because the way they can categorize it, it can add to the original album's sales, can't it? So yeah, that's one it of inflates the, the numbers. Like market strategy wise, obviously, it, they they tend to do deluxe versions because then obviously you are technically purchasing the. 10 or 11 songs again and because it's the same album it counts as a sale of the original sort of thing yeah that's the reason they do it because it's the thing that boosts it from going gold to going platinum maybe that's yeah, the whereas strength. if you was to be nice to the fan base and say this is on a separate disc and has nothing to do with the others but it's a spiritual sort of like companion s- companion album then it's they don't get the stats so it's very much that type of thing but like one of these examples is like imagine dragons did mercury volume one and volume two they did mercury great then they added a song on the front for streaming and a deluxe version but But the deluxe version give you the the first version again also give you on the second 
edition, the first album again, with one track on the front, so it's not entirely the same. So then you end up with the same nine songs twice, and you go, in hindsight, had they not... Had they told you at the start of Mercury Volume 1, well, this will all be on the next album, you probably would go, well, I won't buy it, I'll just stream it for a bit. Yeah, and then you end get up, it eventually. And then you end up with the same CD twice. And then it's like, well, why would I... You might as well just sell Mercury Volume 1 unless you're a collector. Well, that's the thing, because then collector's mentality would justify that most people would get rid of Mercury Volume 1, just throw it or whatever, and then that becomes the rare, less-pressed version, and that is the one that's worth something. So if you're doing, like, the collector's mentality, it's... Um, very tricky to work out what you should keep because it's so unpredictable. I mean, even when you look at Taylor Swift's catalogue on Discogs, it's like, it's not the albums you'd expect. So that's that's the thing. It's all about keeping the one nobody wants or the one that depressed the least. But yeah, it's tough. Well, speaking of new music releases, The Struts have also released a new album uh, just today, actually, called uh, Pretty Vicious, which is really, really like a bit of a breath of fresh air as well. So it's it's all good recently with the the rock acts. And do you think that rock is having a resurgence or do you think it's just that in the sort of vacuum that is digital music releasing and streaming, it's just that you can go find the releases you want and you can very easily find a, a sort of pool of bands to release albums that you are looking for as hard as that sounds but then you have to know they're there to find them yeah the best thing about using a service like spotify or your designated streaming service what i do like about spotify and i imagine it's the same on most others is you can follow the artists so they might put a song out and you'll go oh I didn't know they was doing anything. I'll check that song out. A bit like how people probably felt about the Beatles. They will have been like, wow, a new Beatles song. Yeah, which is sort of expected that. If you you wasn't paying attention, it's sort of like a, well, this must be like a a bonus track. And then you go, no, it's a brand new one. And you go, what do you mean? This can't be a brand new one. And on a small tangent regarding the Beatles thing, there was a great uh, little documentary on YouTube. I mean, there's no point in talking about the Beatles thing because everybody's talked about it like relentlessly already. But it's a cool track. Better to have it. But it says a lot about the idea of audio restoration and potential releases that have been obscured. Like I imagine legacy bands like Queen and even like Rolling Stones and, and many other bands will have a vault of demos where they go, well, this one just never came out on any expanded editions because, yeah, the piano was too loud and it was all on one mic. And, and like, if you was, say, uh, like they said with John Lennon, he was recording at home on just a cassette player with a microphone, playing the piano and singing the demo, he, obviously he'll have thought, well, I'll just do a rough cut because I can do it in the studio. But then, since he wasn't able to redo it ever again, and there was no better transfer, how do you take the piano out the vocal? Well, now, with audio tools, it's a lot easier to, with the way they've done machine learning in lots of, like, studio suites, you can just use an algorithm to pull a vocal out, which has got a lot, lot better in the last few years. But when Paul McCartney and the Beatles was trying to redo this in 1994, four or eight or something like that four or five i think it was yeah four or five yeah they could not work this out because they had a very primitive 
DAW, a digital audio workstation, that they could not do it with. I mean, the best they could do was try and EQ it out. And with all, anybody who makes music knows how well that goes. It's like EQ can do a lot, but it can't do that. It cannot remove an instrument from another one. So it's really interesting to think like, I would love to see Queen embrace this if they have more demos, because we know that there's demos for some of these bands all over the place. So this is really, really... It's an, I think, you know, it's a, there's sort of two reactions to it. Some people are like, well, you know, it's it's not like authentic or whatever, but you're like, well, it is authentic because they're not using AI to re-sing at all. In fact, technically, they're not even using AI. They're just using machine learning and, you know, there's bits about they're, they're the same thing or similar, blah, blah, blah. All they're doing is using technology to split the two parts, which is something that, DJ software is now implemented wide scale and most audio software can do small bits of that. Also, think of it like this. If you're a fan of a band and you're saying, well, I don't want you to ruin their reputation remaining band members. Please don't do this and destroy your legacy. My sort of take is um, if they don't do it, then somebody eventually down the road will do it without any of the original members. Yes, that's very true. And it's true. a lot better to have Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr who know what happened with that when they retried it in the 90s and know the original demo and know the general sort of idea of what is a Beatles song than have some suit who has no idea say, well, let's just hire some guys to make something Beatly and then put that out instead. Because yeah. that inevitably, yeah. like cynically, that is what's going to happen with all these vaults, like Prince's vault, Queen's vault. Any song that's not been touched already is just waiting to be tampered, tampered with. And Jimi Hendrix's vault comes to mind. Yeah, like taking a demo for Crosstown Traffic or whatever they they did and just sort of like massaging it into something else. It, it's just a harsh reality that unless somebody burns those tapes and wipes them from existence... Somebody, whether it's one of the estate members, family or whatever, somebody else in the band or somebody who technically owns that, they will go out their way to make money off it. And that's just a fact. So I would rather in any situation like this, the band do it and then release it over a family member or say even worse, just a suit. Yeah, so some sort of equity firm that's like, yo, let's make some money. Uh, it doesn't matter as long as it sells. Like that's that's the mindset you think about some of it. And some of it, fortunately, they if you like Prince and you left behind fully mixed and mastered practically albums with artwork and photo shoots, then that's great because the estate's sort of all somebody has to do is come through it, clean it up, make sure it's all good. And Prince has left yeah. them a silver platter of yeah. stuff to go through. But like, it's a joke how much stuff they've got. If it's more to the tune of Jimi Hendrix, where it's a bit muddled up and there's a lot there, but it's hard to sift through and things haven't been organised necessarily for a release, then, um, yeah, you might end up with some slightly dodgy, allegedly, uh, sort of releases. The other thing as well is, obviously these original sort of recording artists, like anybody who recorded albums from the 50s to the 70s, they won't have had the hindsight that modern artists do. And I imagine a lot of modern artists, when they're putting out records and putting things in the vault, in quotation marks, they can see what's happened to the Beatles and what's happened to Prince or Jimi Hendrix and, and this full thing. 
they'll be able to say take the reins or you know have like a master delete button for anything they don't oh. want they'll have systems in place whereas obviously these old bands nobody was thinking there was going to be popular 60 80 years later never mind tr- trying to artificially sort of clean the tapes and retransfer them and create new songs out of what they yeah. left behind so it's just one of those things like for anybody who's who's making music it's sort of it's an odd like idea to think about like for anybody in the charts right now this could be happening to them in the future yeah and you've no idea if if a, a back catalog or if demos that never get released are going to come out so i suppose it ends up being like a bit like taylor swift's vault where it's like well if you just release them then nobody else can tamper with them yeah, in the or, future unless you're more to the tune of avici if you have some suspicion or knowledge that it's coming then you write up a game plan basically and he had as far as i have read he had everybody in line who was going to finish that final release and what the songs were going to be how there was going to be done like almost like a step-by-step guide so that's like another interesting factor but that's that's something unique to Avicii because he I think he knew that that was going to happen to him so he felt like he could organize it was a lot he could write his own swan song in yeah sort of the most awful circumstances really but at least he had control yeah of what his final release would look like whereas a lot of people well, if you take john lennon for example he didn't he had no idea did he it was, no, it no. was a complete shock like it wasn't supposed to happen like that well it wasn't supposed to happen to avici but but you know it's if you know what i mean it wasn't like a shock in that sense maybe yeah so they can't prepare john lennon couldn't prepare but avici could in that regard is what i'm trying to say yeah, and also, like say that you know, like they they can see any artist at the moment can see what's happened to these old bands, whereas the old bands would have had no knowledge of what their music would be worth in the future. Yeah, um, is my main point. What but was it, is, it? Mick Jagger said that he thought that they maybe had two years or something like that. Yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, and then um, we got new albums from well, new songs from the Rolling Stones and the Beatles in like practically the same month. Yeah, it's crazy to think about how long people have been waiting for that and they've both done it at once. But um, yeah, just it's just interesting to look at some of these industry... Like, this isn't necessarily an industry trend as it is an industry observation from a fan perspective, but it is one of those things where you, you sort of see trends in all different ways in the music industry, and this is a trend that you'll see. If you listen to older artists and you have them on your release radar on Spotify, you almost get more demos than you do songs by new bands. Like, it's refreshing to see the Struts bring out an album when, like, my release radar has, like, live albums by all these bands that are broken up or where a lot of the members have, have died and and or demos and additional releases i mean it's nothing quite like waking up to see the beatles as the pictured release radar artist but i mean normally if they are there a demo there's a demo come out or something or an alternate take not a new song so it's a it's definitely a weird environment for that but um i do think like you would have to be very uh skeptical of the way the industry is if you're a current artist and you don't think like all of your demos going to get emptied out. I mean, I wonder if it's something that like labels are starting to get into contracts. Like, well, we have the right to pillage your vault if you die unexpectedly. It sounds horrible, but it's a business at the end of the day. So you can imagine these contracts going through with these obscene, like sort of terms. 
I imagine like with the high profile nature of what what the Beatles have done with now and then that um, obviously a lot of artists who are saying the top 40 at the moment may have a think about it. What would they do if that was their band or their song or, you know, it's just one of those things where I suppose you wouldn't really think about it unless it's brought up in a different circumstance and you see like an example of it. And then you would be able to say, equate that to your own projects, particularly these big major label acts like The Weeknd or Taylor Swift who have hundreds of millions of fans, you know, they're the first people where they're going to get that treatment. They're going to want to make as much money out of their brand as possible. And, you know, hopefully, like, those artists make that money first. Well, I suppose this comes down to them owning their rights, I suppose, and owning their um, masters and their their copyright. Like, usually, like, Dua Lipa's just got back her, is it her first album? I think it's both. Both. I want to say it's both, but I would have to read up on it. So I suppose ultimately it depends who was in control of the um, the potential profits to how you know regular this occurrence is. I suppose a lot of them, like Prince, have been on sort of indefinite contracts. So technically, the labels had like a, a stake to his vault in a certain capacity i think although it is his estate that's putting them out isn't it so i suppose it goes to ownership of the songs more than it does any label i suppose it all depends as well on whether the labels buy the songs as they're finished with the studio time but if the label's footing the bill for the studio time and prince is like i'm not going to release that album and that one is still footing the bill for the studio and all the recording costs they're going to want that money back aren't they that's the yeah thing. that's i never thought about it like that like i never thought about all these prince demos that have essentially been cut on a different maybe a, a different label's dime i mean i'm not sure entirely what prince it's, is i'm um, just talking like an hypothetically exactly. yeah yeah because that is a, that is definitely like a thing where a lot of these demos are sort of budgeted by the studio essentially and then they never come out and then yeah, I never thought about it in terms of somebody being like, well, this is our demo, and somebody else being like, well, technically I paid for that to get recorded, but they still got their album, and that's all I, I suppose that's all contractually they'd get is their album. Well, I, I, suppose I would have thought there would have been a thing for copyright of if it was recorded in Capitol Studios by Capitol Records on their bill, then there's definitely an ownership contention, I feel like, but maybe we'd have to get a lawyer to tell us. <laughs> right, so we've rambled about Boys Like Girls, The Struts, and a whole load of um, sort of after-death album, because I'm not going to try and say... what, what Post-humorous? Post-humorous albums. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's yeah. right pronunciation. Yeah, so I've been Mark. And I've been Peter. Thanks for listening. Yeah.